I think that having the, the ability to see potential in things mm-hmm. and to see, you know, long range where we could be and not be completely constrained by that's the way we've always done it. I think that gives me the capability to kind of think outside the box, find creative solutions to problems. Um, There's always a way, you know, you just have to find it. Welcome to the Startup Heroes Podcast, a place to learn about business from local Chattanooga superheroes sharing their entrepreneurial journey, their superpowers, kryptonite, sidekicks, and villains. You'll learn about the principles and actions it took these founders to build their dreams and hopefully be inspired to do the same. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Startup Heroes. Today, uh, we're going to talk to Holly Berry. I'm Chris Wood. I'm Nate Tucker. I'm Michael Artisabel. And I'm Holly Berry. Awesome. So Holly Berry is actually the mayor of Red Bank, and she is a very, very talented artist. And we're going to get into how she got into both of those, what it means, the challenges she's faced, and dig into her kryptonite superpowers and all that. So Holly, just to start, uh, what do you do and and why do you do it? So yeah, tell us. Well, uh, first I was a full-time artist and in 2020, I also became mayor of Red Bank, Tennessee in addition to that. And I do both of those things, uh, I believe, to make the world a more beautiful place. That's awesome. What kind of art do you do? So I was trained traditionally as an oil painter since the age of nine. I have a degree in studio art, uh, fine art from the University of Texas at Austin, and I still enjoy doing all of those things. But lately I have gotten into a new media that I call torch painting. So I burn images into plywood using propane torches. So that's the primary medium I've been working in for about five years, but I still, when I get tired of uh, monochromatic, I'll go back to my oil paints and, Mm. and vice versa. That's incredible. So uh, my wife and I actually knew of you as an artist before we knew of you as a politician. I think most uh, people did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we discovered you at the, the Sunday markets, Chattanooga. I think at the time you were working on maybe the leopard or... That's pretty impressive because uh, I think I only made it to the Chattanooga market one time oh man, as, a, as an artist. It might have been the one time you were there. But, yeah. Uh, we, I, we were flabbergasted and followed you on Instagram immediately. Yeah. My, my Instagram is at Hollyberry Art, so you can see examples of what I'm talking about there. And I had a studio at Chattanooga Workspace, mm-hmm. which used to be across from the downtown YMCA on 6th Street. Mm-hmm. It's no longer there. Unfortunately, it closed um, in the pandemic, although I'm not sure it was related to the pandemic. It was more of a real estate sale issue. Sure. Um, my new studio is at Clear Story Arts at Holtzclaw in Maine. Uh, but I am keeping an eye out for potential studio space in Red Bank. Awesome. And nice. uh, Clear Story is kind of the spiritual successor to Chat Workspace in a lot of ways, right? It really is. And I love it there. It's a beautiful space. There's a lot of artists there from Workspace. In fact, a lot of the artists from Workspace kind of spearheaded getting that off the ground. Sure. Uh, my friend Allie Kay, my friend Olga DeKlein. Um, we've got a good chunk of artists there. You know, I call them classics, you know, mm-hmm. from, from Workspace but also about a lot of new artists there too. I think there's over 40 artists in that building now. So definitely worth checking out. They have an open studio the first Friday of every month. I try to always be there. And um, it's a definitely, if you like local art, if you like seeing artists in their natural habitat, (laughs) doing their thing, it's a place to go. It is. Yeah. We got to go to one of the first Fridays and 
uh, it's just incredible. It's like a, a labyrinth of studios <laughs> and you get to go and each one's different. There's musicians, there's people like Holly that do crazy cool art, there's clay people and everyone has their own organization styles and their own mediums and it's just crazy. Yeah, uh, it's really cool looking in and each one of the doors has a window. So even if the artists aren't in, you can kind of yeah. take a peek and seeing how everybody has their different tools at the trade lined up and their different aesthetics and color schemes and the way they have their spaces formatted and what artwork they have in progress and completed is really fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of tools of the trade, how does it work to do the torch painting? I've, I've seen you work and it's, it looks like, you know, it's a very much spiritual thing going from oil painting to torch painting and you have <laughs> your own tools, but can you talk about that? Yeah, it was just an experiment. The thing about art is you have to always be willing to kind of go outside your comfort zone if you want to continue to improve and evolve and adapt. And it's the key to experimentation is being willing to fail. I think that's something that has a common thread between a lot of business <laughs> and, and art yeah, is, yeah, you have to, you have to be willing to take that risk and you have to be willing to, to take the risk of failure in order to find something new. Um, you know, if you keep doing the same old, same old, you can, you know, be successful that way. You can make a living that way, but you're not going to, you're not going to change the world. Yep. You're not going to find a new niche. You're not going to make something uniquely you if you're not willing to, to take that risk. So I had a piece of wood. Uh, I was thinking about doing a charcoal drawing on the wood instead of uh, on paper, just because I like charcoal drawing and I like painting on wood <laughs> panels as opposed to canvas it's more mm -hmm. durable you can sand it and scrape it you don't have to worry about punching a hole through it <laughs> it lasts longer it doesn't expand and shrink and crack so i started drawing on this piece of wood with the charcoal and it occurred to me well charcoal is made out of burned wood mm. right so instead of applying burned wood to this wood maybe instead i could convert the wood that's already there into charcoal wow. and i got my handy dandy propane plumber's torch out of my <laughs> kitchen where I had been using it to make creme brulee since my college days when I yes. bought it for my ceramics class to dry clay so I could attach handles to mugs and it still has clay covered over the handle <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, started burning it just freehand the first time and it turned out so much better than I expected and people responded mm, so much wow. to that piece uh that even though I kind of sat it in a corner of my studio for about a year, not sure what to do with it, what to call it, how to price it, how to hang it, how to frame it. Um, eventually it garnered so much interest that I had to, had to figure out a, a way. Yeah. And so uh, I have gradually adapted and developed more sophisticated tools and techniques to have better control over my medium. And now the torch paintings I make are far more advanced than the early ones. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, if you see them around town, you'll be really confused at first at what you're <laughs> seeing because you're like, is that painted on there? Is it is it a photo? And then if you know Holly, you're like, oh my gosh, she burned it on there. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I started doing demos at all of my shows and um, gallery openings and that kind of thing is because people would see it on the wall and go, oh, are these painted? Are these stained? Are they uh, printed, photographs printed onto wood? Or what, are, what is this medium? And it's so much easier to show people yeah, than to yeah. tell. Uh, so I started making a habit of doing regular demonstrations. And then I started getting paid to do live demonstrations as gigs oh, at events. That's amazing. Uh, like Chattanooga Zoo, Spirits in the Wild, mm -hmm. I go to every year. Um, they're private parties. I do all kinds of uh, 
events around town before the pandemic. Actually, my my pandemic story, you know, we're all going to have that, like, where were you? When <laughs> <laughs> like 9-11. Yeah, 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 it's like our, well, I was going to say our own 9-11, but we're yeah. also 9-11. It's, yeah. it's another one for us, unfortunately. Um, and for me, I had two gigs booked back to back at the Chattanooga Aquarium. Mm. And the first day, uh, everything was normal. We had food catered in. There was... Uh, over a hundred people in attendance. We were giving hugs. (laughs) Everything was, was perfectly normal. And I actually left all my tools at the, at the aquarium overnight because I had another demo booked the very next day. And I got a call midway through the the day following my demo saying, uh, come pick up your tools. We're closing the aquarium. And my second demo never happened. So that's how quickly it struck. And and I went from (coughs) having gigs booked you know, at least one to two a month to nothing yeah. for all of 2020, most of 2021. I'm, I'm starting to, things are starting to kind of open back up. Um, I'm starting to book some more gigs again, but honestly, uh, you know, the silver lining is leading into, that's how I ended up in office. Yeah. That that's, opening. That's incredible. Uh, so real quick on the art side, before we dive into the political stuff, where are some of the coolest commission pieces that you have in town? That is an excellent question. So I have a few commission pieces out in the world. Um, The largest I've ever completed is in the Whiskey Thief Bar at the top floor of the Edwin Hotel. Anybody who's a fan of art, I highly recommend visiting the Edwin and just walking around. Even if you're not a guest, you can go in and just explore. Um, They have the premier collection of local art in the city. Um, you know, the Hunter Museum is great, but they don't have a lot of local contemporary art. Really, right across the way there at the Edwin Hotel is the place to see who is in our town, what are they doing. Uh, they have some really spectacular original pieces in permanent collection, and they purchase and, and commission and own those pieces. So they'll, they'll always be there, which is pretty cool. So my piece there is up on the top floor. So you take the elevator all the way up, go into Whiskey Thief, and it's actually the only artwork and Whiskey Thief, because if you've been there, you'll know that three of the walls are windows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the only mm-hmm. wall that there is, this piece takes up almost the entire thing above a large And booth. it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. It's huge. And I got to have my friends uh, model as the hand <laughs> models the hands, yeah. <laughs> uh, in that piece. So it's always fun. And uh, sometimes I even see those models there and they go, that's me. <laughs> so it's pretty cool to have it there. number three. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool to have it there. And, um, it's the, the reason it's the largest piece. They actually wanted, uh, I believe about a seven by seven foot square to custom fill that space, but I'm limited by the size that plywood comes in, <laughs> which is four foot by eight foot if you're in construction. <laughs> so because they wanted it, you know, more than four feet in one of the dimensions, I decided to make it into a diptych, which is two paired pieces uh, designed to hang side by side. So it's either side of a table with hands holding glassware and reflections in the glasses and candlelight. And it was actually very fortunate that plywood does only come in those sizes because I realized after the fact when I was going to deliver the piece that there's no other way it would have fit in the elevator. Oh, I had to get a crane and one up there. We would have had to like winch it up the side of the hotel or something. Wow. It would have been a nightmare if I had actually managed to make it in one piece. So yeah. uh, that, that definitely worked out for the best. Uh, the other place where you can see my artwork on permanent display 
is a more unusual piece for me in the Hotel Indigo, which is actually the building directly next door to where my old studio used to be on 6th Street. And in their bar, above their bar, you'll see a series of four pieces. Um, They're pretty unique for what I do. So it is a mountainscape Mm -hmm. of actually layered pieces that are burned to different degrees and um, in some cases backlit with LED lighting. Cool. That the bar actually has control to program the color of the lighting if they're having events and that kind of thing. And um, the different, the four different panels I made to represent the four different times of day. So we kind of have a sunrise, midday, sunset, and night. And the night panel also has stars, LED star lights in the background. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm going to have to go check it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I really was drawn to come to Tennessee in the first place from Texas because of the mountains. So it was really nice to make a piece that was my inspiration for coming here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of inspiration, so what inspired you on your next step of your journey to get into local politics? I lost a bet. <laughs> <laughs> the best, the beginning of every good story. That's not entirely true. Um, I have never had any political aspirations whatsoever. I didn't run for school council. I was never the president of anything. Um, I have always been a uh, forceful kind of take charge person, but um, I also tend to be a, a lone wolf. So being in charge of a, a large organization is, is new to me and it's very exciting. And I got a call from a friend of mine who is a former school board member And I actually helped with her campaign. And going back to our earlier conversation, I met her because she was the administrator at my studio building at Chattanooga Mm -hmm. Workspace. So we became friends there over the years. And it just so happened that she moved from Cleveland and I moved to North Shore to Red Bank the same month of the same year back in 2015 and bought our houses, uh, you know, just a few uh, less than a mile apart. And so we started pet sitting for each other. I'd watch her plants and we'd check in on each other. Mm. And she called me one day after I helped her with her um, school board campaign. And she said, are you sitting down? I said, no, but I can be. She said, what would you think about running for Red Bank Commission? I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you ask me that? You know, I hate politics. She said, hear me out, hear me out. Um, And she Let me know that the seat I would be eligible for, because she found my name on a list of voters, (laughs) a list of consistent voters that voted in every local election. Um, That's how she, even though she knew me, that's how she kind of decided to ask me. Um, The seat I was eligible for was currently filled by an appointee who, after the elected, the person elected to that seat passed away, the commission appointed someone to that seat and he was about to run unopposed. And so she appealed to my sense of democracy and civic (laughs) duty. It's not right to have someone unopposed on the ballot. Um, And so I said, can I think about it? She said, yep. But hurry because the deadline is in two days. (laughs) (laughs) No no pressure. (laughs) No pressure. So I I had one night to sleep on it, talk to my family, talk to my husband. Of course, he said, you should absolutely do it. Really? Yes. So I called her back the next day and I said, okay, I'll do it. And so we ran around and got my uh, petitions 
uh, signatures, you have to get 25 qualified voters uh, to sign your petition to be eligible to be on the ballot. So we ran around. I turned it in at the last the last day it was due, and uh, actually that's where I met my current vice mayor, Stephanie Dalton, for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously uh, things went well for both of us. Yeah, you're the best <laughs> of buds now, too. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> we got to be very uh, running campaigning together, uh, especially doing it in less than two months like we did, uh, is really kind of turns you into a war buddy situation, <laughs> battle buddies, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, I mean, really coming from art and then going to politics, that's like you jumped in the deep end, like so crazy. Yes, it was, uh, I think, the, the way to describe that entire phase. And, and I don't know if it's it's really stopped since is drinking from the fire hose. Mm. I had to learn a lot of stuff really fast about local politics, both, you know, just technically the way it works, but then also culturally, you know, what who the players were and what the dynamics were everywhere. Um and it was, it was a lot all at once, but it was definitely worth it. And real quick, before I turn it over to Nate, so how did you become the mayor? Because you ran for commission. Yeah. And you, don't, you don't run for mayor. That's a great question. I get asked that a lot. Um, <clears throat> and what it, the way it works in our city, we have what's called a council manager form of government. So nobody runs for mayor. We just have five commissioners. And in our, the way it's set up in our particular city, it so happens that we have three districts and two at-large seats. So districts one, two, three, and two at-large. And the terms are staggered. So there'll be three of those seats on the ballot uh, one year. And then two years later, there'll be the other two. And then three, and then the other two, every other election, every two years. And after each election, every two years, whoever ends up winning those seats chooses from amongst themselves, we, uh, the board, nominate and vote on who we want to be our mayor and vice mayor. That's every two years or every four? Every two years. Okay. Yeah. So even if, so it, I had to run in 2020. I have to run again this year in 2022 again, because I mentioned the way I ended up running was filling in a term for someone who passed away. And Stephanie was running on a regularly scheduled four-year term. And so actually Stephanie and I will never be on the same cycle, campaign cycle again, because she was running for a, four, a regular four-year term. I was running for the remainder of a four-year term that only had two years left. Um, so even though I was uh, nominated and voted in as mayor this time, uh, even, if it had, even if I had gotten a four-year term, like say if we had made Stephanie mayor, we would still nominate and elect from among ourselves, a new mayor in at November 2022, regardless, even though she had ter- time left on her term. So that's mm. that's just how it works in our form of government. That's in our charter. So that's not something that's easy to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it works pretty well because it's the mayor doesn't have any extra power. I'm not like Mayor Kelly. I can't mm-hmm. just dictate from on high. <laughs> you know, this is the way I want things to be. Of course, he has to answer to city council, but they he makes the budget, for example, and city council approves the budget. I don't mm-hmm. make the budget for Red Bank. Our city manager does that. I actually like it that way. I actually recall listening to an interview with Mayor Kelly where he suggested that Chattanooga might be better served by a city manager form of government mm-hmm. because the people that have the skills to run and be elected to mayor aren't necessarily the same 
people that have the skills to administer a city yeah. necessarily. Uh, also, the volatility of the, the amount of power that a strong mayor has over and over again um, to make appointments, to set the budget, to set priorities for the city, with the p- potential of that being turned over every four years, that creates an incredible amount of volatility for the city. It's hard to keep forward in, in that exactly. direction if you, it changes. Yeah. You can't pick a long-term goal and head towards it because in four years might be somebody else with a different goal changing directions before you reach your destination. Mm. And so for that reason, I think the city manager system is stronger because the board as a whole uh, has one employee, which is the city manager. So the five of us hire that city manager, which we just did last year. And that person can carry through multiple elections. Granted, the position of city manager can also be volatile <laughs> as, you know, the elections can mm-hmm. change who your bosses are. Which we but, also saw. <laughs> yes. Um, but that can be, you know, it has the potential of carrying through. And there are city managers who make it for, you know, a, a full career in a city. And when that happens, it, it can be good for a city to have that kind of con- continuity Mm. Um, and also then that city manager is the boss, the CEO of the city, the, you know, this is the business community I'm yeah, talking to. So exactly. you'll understand mm-hmm. that the board of commissioners of the city of Red Bank is like the board of a corporation and the city manager is like the CEO. So the board can hire and fire the CEO, but the CEO ultimately makes the day-to-day decisions and running the operation of the business or the city. And so it creates a buffer between the, the elected officials that are potentially volatile and the city, the city employees mm-hmm. who, you know, are doing a great job for us. So yeah. I, it's a good system. And, and that's a very long answer to why there's not a mayor <laughs> on the ballot. <laughs> well, and uh, Martin has done a fantastic job so far. I always enjoy our conversations and from all of the meetings I've been to, he does a really good job at not being on one side or the other and just mm-hmm. making sure everyone understands why people think what they do and keeping up kind of a neutral setting and trying to find a compromise if people uh, very much want what they want. So. Yeah, our city manager, Martin Granham, has been doing a fantastic job since he started in October of last year when he was hired by a unanimous 5-0 vote of our board. Mm-hmm. And he has endeavored to make every vote since a 5-0 vote. <laughs> now, there's certain things that we just you know, that might not be possible on yeah. like our, our liquor or, or our beer ordinance. We did actually get a five over on our liquor ordinance, which yeah. is pretty great. Um, but he, he loves every member of our board. He thinks they're all, you know, looking out for the best interests of the city. And he has a good working relationship, I think with, with each and every one of us and, and helping us be stronger, working together as a body. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I followed your campaign very closely, Holly. Uh, I just thought it was fascinating because I had known about you purely as an artist um, through Synchron, my art magazine. We had written about you several times. Yes. And I think I remember um, I, I messaged you originally um, in 2020 because I wanted to learn more about what it was like for you as an artist who'd had their studio closed, which unfortunately happened to so many artists in Chattanooga. <laughs> It did. Yeah. And while we were talking, um, you just happened to drop in there like, by the way, I'm running for this position. Red Bank. I just that was baffling. But, yeah. And just watching you like become this leader has been fascinating. Um, I had never really like 
thought about Red Bank politics before, and now it's like something that I like regularly monitor despite not even living in that part <laughs> of the area. And so as someone who's like now had to like assume that role, what would you say has been like your superpower that's like helped you become someone who can lead others and represent them? Well, I know one thing is as an artist, I always have a vision. You know, I, I see things for what they can be, not for what they are. You know, if you, I always thought it was silly what house stagers do because they fix the house up and paint the walls and put furniture to make pretend like there's somebody living there. And I didn't really get that because you don't know anything that you don't know how other people perceive things. And in my mind, I can always visualize this is exactly what it would look like if I lived here or if somebody lived here, if it was fully furnished, if it, if I changed the wall color, if I changed this, you can see the bones of the house and all the different potentials it has. It took me a while to learn that everybody can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really figure that out for a long time in my life. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, would you be able to give us like any like examples of like places where you've had like an intersection of your artist and political life? Let me think about that one for a second. I mean, the obvious one is working on our public art ordinance right now. <laughs> Actually, my one of my first forays into Chattanooga area politics was the donut mural. I don't know if you guys remember that <laughs> the donut mural drama that happened on Southside on the right not, next to Mad Priest over there. Yes. So it's a mural that was commissioned by Coke's Bakery on Main Street, yeah. uh, or not on Main Street, on uh, Broad, Broad Street. Yeah. And it's actually, the mural is not on Cokes. It's on an outbuilding owned by Cokes. And it so happens that the Chattanooga sign ordinance uh, does not delineate between murals and signs mm. sufficiently. And so the sign, uh, the code's enforcement interpreted a mural of flying donuts to be a commercial quote-unquote commercial message for the donut shop because they sold donuts now the irony of that is that literally any other business other than that shop you know across the street would have been perfectly fine to paint a mural of donuts but simply because they sold donuts it wasn't allowed which seems especially as an artist arbitrary mm -hmm. to me um now granted i don't think that's the best mural in the world and i definitely think they overpaid for an out-of-town artist to come and paint it when they definitely could have gotten a better local artist for cheaper but all of that aside i have had local artist friends have murals painted over under because of the same issue with the chattanooga sign ordinance so i actually started a petition to save the donut mural nice. <laughs> and it got like i just ma i made it on like change.org like one of those free sites and i was just like let's just send this to my friends and see and it then like the next day it had like ten thousand signatures and the news was calling me and i was like what <laughs> apparently really people really like this donut mural um and i ended up on this committee and then they ended up uh like put them putting a moratorium on it and uh, honestly i still don't know what became of that I feel it's like still there. <laughs> well, the mural is still there, but I don't know if the structural changes to the sign ordinance have actually been fixed, but I haven't heard of this enforcement be coming up since then. Um, but anyways, Red Bank had a similar issue. So 
we have a new business in town that just opened up a couple years ago called Bud Floral and Home. And they hired uh, an outside artist from Miami, I think, to paint a mural on the side of their building that was uh, an older Hispanic gentleman who was a flower farmer, that was the reference material, surrounded by flowers. And this was a flower shop. (laughs) (laughs) And the Red Bank sign ordinance does not differentiate between signs and murals. And it says signs cannot cover more than 20% of your wall area. Um, So this is a business relevant topic. And it was deemed to be a sign. And so literally uh, the city went out and counted bricks (laughs) uh, and told the business owner, uh, you need to paint over this many bricks uh, in order to come back into compliance with our sign ordinance. And they left it up to the business owner what part to paint over. (laughs) Well, this shop is a flower shop. And so they painted over everything but the flowers, which was unfortunately the Hispanic gentleman. So that was not taken very well uh, by our community. I mean, I understand each, I I understand each step that led to that result, but 90 plus percent of Red Bank residents don't know all of these, all this backstory of how it came to be. All they know is that a lot of people were really excited to have our first mural in Red Bank, and people really loved it. And then within a month, suddenly this face had been erased. Um, so that prompted me. This happened not too long before the campaign. So that prompted me that as soon as I got into office, I wanted to address a public art ordinance. So we have had our planning commission for months going over re- neighboring uh, municipalities and areas uh public art ordinances to see what parts would work for us, what parts wouldn't work for us. Obviously, we can't go off of Chattanooga's because they have an entire public art Chattanooga branch of the government. Our size of city can't support that. Uh, but what we can have is is legislation that makes sense and makes room and makes allowances for art. And the main thing I wanted was just a clear <coughs> cut and dry clause that said murals are not signs (laughs) (laughs) and basically the way you know that everything has to have legal definitions so if it doesn't have a a call to action a commercial call to action logos you know trademarked logos or messages or slogans uh then or prices anything like that then it is not a sign and so that would allow for things like the donut mural that would allow for the flower shop to have a flower mural play dog excellent could put a dog mural if they wanted to. Um, but it would also prohibit, you know, the sign situation from getting out of control. So <laughs> that is, uh, I think, the clearest intersection of my life as an artist and my life as mayor is, is creating this public art ordinance and trying to get it through. And we should be voting on it in the next month or two, actually. Nice. Yeah. That's amazing. So... Since this is like your first time ever being in like political office, I would say like it's really impressive that you've been able to do so much and that you've been <laughs> able to build this like brand out of yourself. Uh, what would you say is like the key to like your success with that? Oh, just being authentic. You know, I think when I was on the campaign trail, when I would knock on people's doors, first of all, that's important to note that I did my whole campaign in the pandemic. Stefan and I both by knocking on doors. 
we didn't have any fundraisers. We didn't have any events, any meet and greets because it was post COVID and pre vaccine. So we were doing no gatherings. We were just walking up to people's porches with masks on and knocking on their door and seeing if they would talk to us. And number one, the response we got is I've lived in Red Bank my whole life. I've been lived in Red Bank for 12 years. You know, I've never, no politician has ever knocked on my door before for anything. And that really reached people. And then the second thing we'd get, or sometimes the first was, well, y'all look like regular people. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you have a politician knocking at your door, I think you have a certain expectation of, you know, the people you see on TV with suits and ties and stuff and, and just having, you know, us just wearing our t-shirts and jeans and sweating or completely drenched in rain (laughs) is a different kind of experience. You know, we're just neighbors. And would you say that like that sense of like genuineness is also why you've been like so successful as an artist too? Now as an artist, that's harder to say. Uh, I like to think that I have, my success in art has more to do with my unique vision. It definitely still has to do with authenticity and, and being myself and, and expressing that in a visual form, obviously creating a medium of art that the, what I hear most often is I've never seen anybody do this before. I said, well, neither have I, (laughs) (laughs) it's in the tradition of pyrography, but it's not like the wood burning kit you had as a kid. It's the same concept. You're using heat to darken wood. I mean, that's it. But instead of a soldering iron, I used open flame, which allows me to work a lot larger, a lot faster. There are a handful of other artists around the world using torches on wood to create artwork. Uh, We've all got our unique spin on it, but definitely in the region, uh, there's nobody doing what I do. And I think the novelty of it definitely appeals to people. There's a, this is a business concept that I read about, but basically there's a sweet spot between novelty and familiarity that resonates with people. So they don't want to see the same thing they've always seen, but they don't want it to be too unfamiliar either. They don't want to feel stupid. Yes. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like this is new, but I understand it. And I think my torch painting hits that note where it's a new medium, but I work in a representational style. People know what they're, they like to say, and I I like to know what I'm looking at, right? (laughs) Um, Not an abstract artist. So I think that that kind of threads the needle there between the novelty and the familiarity that that people really enjoy. Yeah, I, I definitely had that experience like the first time we ever spoke where like half the stuff you're telling me about what you did, I did have to like do like Google searches. Okay. <laughs> like torch paint. What does uh, that mean? Well, I made that term up, so <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that made it more difficult. But <laughs> that's yeah. fantastic. I figure if I invent a medium I can call it whatever I want. And 100%. technically it's not painting because I'm not applying pigment to a surface. Uh, but it has more of a ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to pass over now to Mike. Awesome. Well, first, I just want to say a while back, you you said, I don't know the exact wording, but it really resonated with me as a fellow artist, uh, just about how that vision of being able to see the possibility of something, because when you're working with art, it's like a metaphor for doing that in real life. You see something possible and then you problem solve your way to making it happen. So like, I have noticed that a lot of like great business leaders and like 
organizational leaders and politicians and stuff that have either music or art or some kind of creative background, like they do tend to be able to see that in a way that other people can. So I just, I love that you said that. It's something <laughs> I've always like thought about and hundred percent agree. Very, very cool. I think that's a key thread of commonality between most creatives. Obviously you have to pull something out of the ether that didn't exist mm -hmm. and make it exist. <laughs> yep. And that is a useful skill to have in art in music in poetry in business in politics. Mm -hmm doesn't matter what your field is if you can if you can manifest something into reality that didn't exist before that's how we get stuff done yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah so i we may have to do a whole other podcast on that at some point because like i just want to talk about that for like four hours um but so for me i'm my little section is all about kind of digging into your kryptonite so for me one of the things i was really curious about was like First, as an artist, what was your kryptonite? And then I was curious to see if it's the same as what's happening in politics or if what you've gone through has affected you now with politics. Hmm. So in art, there's, of course, a lot of common threats that a lot of creatives experience. And one is self-doubt, of course, is what I'm trying to make worth making. Mm -hmm. Will people like it? There's finance. How am I going to pay for this, make a living. And there is your own, and this kind kind of ties back to self-confidence of, you know, being willing to go get your, put yourself out there and make something. If you make something that didn't exist before, uh, again, it's a risk. People yep. might not like it. <laughs> uh, luckily for me, I've never particularly cared very much whether other people like me or what I make. That helps. <laughs> so that I w that's uh, maybe one of my superpowers. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, but it can be it can be a challenge. Honestly, my number one struggle with with art right now is just uh, limitations of time. Mm. You know, finding the time to prioritize and get myself into the studio and make artwork. I work much better on deadlines. I work much better with restrictions. Um, but one of the things that's really keeping me from pursuing my art to the degree that I did pre-pandemic when I was, you know, 100% full-time artist is just that for me, the city provides that creative outlet for myself. Interesting. Yeah. It doesn't have to be two-dimensional artwork, you know, that this was a struggle for me my whole life is I want to be an artist because I enjoy making things. But at the same time, I, like anyone, want to make a positive difference on the world. And in the kind of traditional art scene, what do you really do? You make pretty things for rich people to hang on their walls. <laughs> and uh, I enjoy the process of doing that. I enjoy making the pretty things. And then when the rich people put them on their walls, that gives me money to be able to keep making pretty things. So I had made my peace with that, mm -hmm. uh, being a fulfilling type of work. But now that I am working in the city and I'm seeing things become real around me in the community where I live and being becoming things that my neighbors and friends can use, that's so much more 
satisfying and fulfilling than just making pretty things for rich people to hang on their walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <That's laughs> so it's it's kind of draining my 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 energy for that task. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. But I guess like tying it back to that realization that like true creativity is having a vision and then problem solving a way to do it. Like mm -hmm. it hundred percent makes sense. You're doing the same thing. I'm doing it. You yeah. You had an evolution to wood burning <laughs> and then you had an evolution to doing it in your community. I just have a very different outlet and medium now than I had access to previously. Yeah. And also collaboration. You know, I've, I've worked with other artists on collaborative projects before I was the local team. Speaking of murals, I was the local team leader on the MLK mural um very cool yeah the one on the at&t building that wraps an entire city block a really big one yeah, yeah it's yeah. like That's a big thirty thousand square feet yeah. uh, and i i'm actually a very skilled lift operator <laughs> <laughs> were you skilled before or was that in, no, in the midst of that doing was it? an on-the-job <laughs> training situation um but i i'm probably a little rusty now but in 2015 i could thread the needle and and drive a lift while navigating the wheels around and over, straddling the manhole covers so that I didn't punch through the utility plates, between trees and light poles while weaving the basket underneath power lines and over moving traffic. Wow. Um, so if there was a, like a, a the claw game. <laughs> Uh, for the claw. Yeah, if there was a game, the claw for driving a lift, I would have definitely been the champion yeah. <laughs> at that time. <laughs> That's a very unique thing you can put on like a resume. Yes, <laughs> excellent, excellent lift operator. Be like, wait, you didn't, you didn't drive for Uber? No, <laughs> wait, wait, wrong lift. No, wrong lift. Oh yeah, <laughs> not with the one with the I, not the Y. Yeah. Um, but collaborating with that team, you know, I like creating something with a team and it's amazing to watch people really come into their own. Um, that's one of the other things I think our city manager is doing really well is he's really empowering mm -hmm. our department heads and other employees to take control and take charge of their own departments and, and tell us what they need and, and make independent decisions that's best for their departments. That I think makes our whole city stronger. Um, and as a, local elected leader that's what i try to do also is empower people to make their own decisions that's why one of the first things that uh, vice mayor dalton put forth was a citizens advisory committee for our city so that we could form a citizen committee on any topic that interested our residents whether it be community gardens or libraries or small business development or any of these you know walkability bikeability whatever was a passion project for our citizens, we have created the rules to empower them to create their own committee to advise us and tell us what they want and make recommendations, policy recommendations, even ask, uh, request budget, budgeted funds to carry out projects. Um, so that's, you know, working collaboratively with our city staff or with our community to bring these things to life has been uh, very satisfying. And I'll say Stephanie's porch talks are really good at yes. informing citizens too. I always enjoy watching those. So you want to talk about those and just how they inform the citizens? Yeah, I have been a big fan of Vice Mayor Dalton's porch talks. Uh, so her handle is at Vice Mayor Stephanie Dalton and her name is S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E -E, um, Dalton. And she, every, before each meeting, which we meet uh, the first and third 
Tuesdays of each month, so either Sunday or Monday prior to those meetings, she will do a porch talk, and she will go over the agenda. And one of the things I really appreciate about the work she's doing there is by putting all of these terms, all of these agenda items into layman's terms and kind of giving the background, she gives citizens the opportunity to really wrap their heads around it prior to the meeting, do research, uh, form opinions. And then if they want to come to our meetings and have, uh, you know, let us know their thoughts, because we do have a citizen's comments portion of our meetings, then they can do that. When, when Stephanie and I first started going to meetings together when we first started campaigning before we were elected, it was really intimidating because the agenda would be read off line by line and say, okay, agenda, you know, resolution number 24-1208, a resolution of the Board of the Commissioners of the City of Red Bank, Tennessee, to enter into an agreement with so-and-so LLC blah, 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 for the amount of $12,947. All in favor? Any opposed? Any comments? How are you supposed to have a comment on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you have any idea what we're talking about if that's all you hear? Well, and if the comments are after it's been voted on. Well, kinda... yeah, we, I did put those out of order, so we do. Well, no, but I, <laughs> when I first started going to the meetings, I one of my complaints to the commission was citizens' comments are at the end of the meeting, so like, what? I mean, <laughs> how, how do we comment on? Well, we do have, stuff? so the weird <clears throat> thing about state law is that we're actually not legally required to have any citizen comments ever for anything. When I found that out, I was flabbergasted. Yeah. Uh, we do have uh, on the agenda at the end of the meeting, which there has been discussion about moving that to beginning, um, as much for, you know, if somebody comes and wants to tell us about a pothole or something, they can uh, let us know about that and, and leave without having to sit through the rest of the meeting. But mm -hmm. there's also been an argument that, it's good to have people sit through the entire meeting because <laughs> it's then they have an excuse to have to hear what's going on in their city. But regardless, uh, that is on the agenda. But it, at the uh, at the end of the agenda, that's a comments for items not on the agenda. So again, that's for potholes. I have this idea. Um, we repeatedly heard, thankfully, from our citizen, Mr. Cook, who advocated for pickleball courts uh, during that time until we finally got them. Um, <laughs> So that's the kind of thing that that's for. Um, we do have a custom, though. It's not listed on the agenda, but we do have a custom that started before I started of calling for citizen comments prior to a vote on each agenda item. Uh, for example, our last budget vote um, garnered many citizen comments. <laughs> not as many as the, the budget vote in 2021, um, but this one in 2022, uh, we have discussion. We have a motion to discuss. We have a motion to second. We discuss. Then we call for citizen comments. And then we vote. So people have an opportunity to speak if they have feelings on anything that we're voting on, the way our meetings are currently formatted. And we definitely encourage people to do so. But Vice Mayor Stephanie Dalton's talks, uh, I think, allow people the access to that information uh, to be able to understand it without having to do hours of independent research and mm -hmm. open records requests and all this other nonsense. Yeah, I can see that being incredibly helpful to like get around all that jargon and just yes. know what's really being talked about. Excellent. Um, yeah, so um, I'm curious. I got a couple more questions on this section. Well, I'll send it over to Chris. Um, so first off, I would just ask, so when it comes to 
actual like politics, what, what would you say your kryptonite is? Hmm. This could be either like a weakness or just something that like drains you throughout the process. That's a hard one to answer. There's, there's plenty that drains me about being in politics. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, you know, it's discouraging. The problem with politics is you can never make everybody happy. Yeah. You can make uh, most people happy. Or what, what's, that, what's that quote? You can make most people happy most of the time, but you can't make everybody happy all the time. <laughs> um, and so there's always going to be somebody that's unhappy, whatever you're doing. Whether I do what I'm doing or the opposite of that, somebody's going to be unhappy about it. And you're going to hear from some of those people, and some of them will be respectful about the way that they present their disagreement, and some of them won't. Um, and that's unfortunate when things are directed to us in an uncivil manner, rude <laughs> way. Um, and especially when people don't don't actually understand what's going on and make assumptions and then get angry about their assumptions that aren't actually true. I would say that's the most draining. Um, and especially in citizen comments, we as a board are not supposed to engage in back and forth during citizen comments. Mm. It is their time to come to us and get whatever off their chest that they want. And you desperately want to retort and defend and uh, explain, but you can't. You're not supposed to, at least. Um, so learning to sit there and let the criticism wash over you without reacting uh, was a very much a learned skill for me. It's very un-American. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say, it, what kind of helped you to, to learn that skill and, and be able to process through that? So I've really been getting into stoicism lately. Very cool, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, I... Uh, I'm a Christian by, you know, religion, but Stoicism isn't a religion, it's a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And the principles of Stoicism I've really helped me a lot last year when I was going through the roughest time, I say I, when the, our city was going through uh, some of the most tumultuous time in my tenure. And the most important part, the basic facets of Stoicism is you control what you think say and do and you don't control literally anything else <laughs> what happens the weather events news what other people think or say or say to you or do or do to you um, you have no control over any of those things or the outcome and so anchoring your happiness you know hanging your happiness on any of those things is obviously a recipe for unhappiness mm -hmm. Yep. But if you hang your happiness on, I did my best, I said everything that I could say, um, and being happy with that, regardless of the outcome, then you can be happy, <laughs> even in a terrible situation. So that was a big comfort to me and, and definitely helped me, you know, there's also some specific to, uh, what's the word, uh, weathering. <laughs> <laughs> unfriendly citizen comments. Um, there's also an important uh, aspect of stoicism that really appealed to me, which was if someone criticizes you and it's true, perhaps they didn't deliver it in the most constructive manner, but thank them 
And if they say some criticism of you and it's not true, don't be angry because it is a case of mistaken identity. They are criticizing the person they suppose you to be and it has nothing to do with you and it's none of your concern. So that helped me a lot is realizing that, that people are criticizing who they have made me out to be and not who I am. And that really makes it easier to sit through anything anybody says. Yep. Then that takes a lot of, uh, which I think is part of the whole pathway of going down stoicism is a lot of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, it's interesting because that's been a, a similar journey for me. Maybe it's an artist <laughs> thing. I don't know. Well, actually, um, I think that's one of the crossovers too between art and politics is I can't tell you how many artists that the world is missing out on right now because they're afraid to put themselves out there. They're afraid that people won't like their work. They're afraid of what people will say. They're afraid of criticism. And this is, again, like business, being afraid to fail, right? And so being an artist and being used to putting myself out there and being used to getting rejected again and again and again by galleries and shows, and, you know, I've got a whole folder of rejection letters. (coughs) I am well-versed in being rejected. (laughs) I am well-versed in receiving criticism, both constructive and otherwise. And that was a good primer for me that helped me transition into the role I have today. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, so I'm going to ask one question and then I'll, I'll send it over to Chris after this one. Uh, or actually, Nate, my bad. Um, so my question is, as you were getting into all that and it was helpful through weathering all that during politics, uh, was there any specific like books or uh, resources that, that you learned that from that our listeners can go check out? So I, one of my favorite nonfiction books right now is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Brene Brown. Yes, really anything by Brene Brown, but Dare to Lead is particularly relevant to my current situation. I really appreciate that. I really liked her identifying your your whys, right? And she has this whole list of principles and like what makes you tick. And it really helps you distill down when you're making tough decisions and you're trying to understand why you feel a way about something. Um, so for me, those, those two most key principles were beauty and stewardship. And stewardship means a lot of things to me, and it means everything from, you know, being a good steward of the resources that I have personally, um, of the planet, <laughs> of uh, the city, resources and finances, making sure that all of those are being taken care of. But furthermore, it means for me, future generations, because we are not going to be on this planet that long. (laughs) And none of us, all of us are temporary. And so we have a responsibility to leave it a better place than we found it. And so that's something that's really key to me. And I really appreciate, um, my our our you know ancestral uh predecessors here the first peoples of of north america appreciated that any decision that you made you have to consider to the seventh generation Hmm. how will this decision positively or negatively impact the seventh generation from us right and if we are robbing from our descendants in order to benefit in the present, 
you know, what, what kind of stewards are we, you know, another phrase that's really important to me is we don't inherit the earth from our parents. We borrow it from our children. Mm. So our board of commissioners is borrowing Red Bank from our children. How are we making our city a stronger place for that generation? Yeah. Um, mic drop on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's really great. And yeah, definitely everyone check out that book. Uh, Brene Brown is amazing. And yeah. yeah, definitely a lot of great stuff there. So She has a podcast by the same name too, Dare to Lead yes. on Spotify and all that. Highly um, recommend. And then the whys that you were talking about. So a lot of her inspiration for the why specifically is from Simon Sinek, who wrote Start With Why yes. as a TED Talk. Um, and they he has a podcast as well called A Bit of Optimism, and he has her on it, and it's one of the best ones ever. And they're well, like, that's a, a hell of a crossover. It's, yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> it is a hell of a crossover. It's, it's, it's just two powerhouses, and they're friends, and they say cool stuff, and they just bounce off each other, and it's super encouraging. And you should all go listen to it after this. Yeah, this episode sponsored by Dare to Lead. I will say my cat's name is Simon, and it is named after Simon Sinek. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, following up after that. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, another thing, like, I, I'd want to, like, um, empathize right now, like, uh, really, like, talk about the fact of, like, um, you say all this holiday and like you really do like live by this like I've gone to so many like local like city council meetings at like Chanook is like surrounded by weird little like towns and stuff like <laughs> that um, and so many of them like for one like you mentioned like they don't have to ask for comment a lot of them don't it really is you just go up there they say like you know like they're all of their jargon and you know you go look at later and it's like oh a garbage truck in our city you know that only has three garbage trucks was damaged somehow and they just decided to not buy a new one with no regard for the citizens or anything and then they immediately followed up by actually saying like in the next thing that they want to buy three new police cars and, so, <laughs> and just decisions like that were the citizens are never like ask about it or get to have like any part and it's usually um, couched in terms of we hereby mm -hmm. agree to authorize the purchase of x amount of dollars from this company mm -hmm. and yeah it's, yeah yeah it means it's not nothing. it's not said like you just said it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah you have to go find that yourself mm -hmm. like days later when you have the free time and by then it's the it's decision's already made mm -hmm. yeah yeah and the fact that you guys don't do that it's it's amazing yeah i the meetings i've gone to in red bank are like no other meetings i've ever gone to yeah. wow that's a compliment <laughs> and this is coming from the future mayor of chattanooga i yes. hear it <laughs> well i hope you will also consider uh you know, converting the city of Chattanooga to a city manager system. Uh, from, from what you said, <laughs> you've sold me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely do some more research. And if Mayor Kelly doesn't get around to it, it's going to probably, somebody's going to have to get elected and then, you know, abdicate yeah. basically <laughs> to create that form of government, which would be really something. That's true. That's not typical of a lot of politicians is to get power and then give it immediately up. give it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier um, you were up for campaign this year. Yes. So what's that going to look like for you? What's the plan? It's really different than the first time I did it. So again, the first time I campaigned, I was convinced to run a day before the deadline. <laughs> uh, that's not the case at all this time. I have lots of warning. I've known that I was going to run again 
pretty much since I won the first election because I figured there's no way I'm going to get done all the things I want to accomplish in just two years. I mean, I've only been mayor for 19 months. And sometimes it seems, you know, they say a government moves slow. Well, on the one hand, it does. Like, it feels slow. But then you look back at what's happened in just 19 months, and it's amazing. I've done a lot. Yeah, it's it's really astounding. Um, And I love what our... Uh, other commissioner or at-large commissioner Pete Phillips likes to say you always overestimate what you can do in two months and you always underestimate what you can do in two years Mm. and I think that's true I think it feels like forever because you can't ever get any instant gratification for anything in government but if you just keep plugging at it (laughs) and again this is like business too nothing happens overnight a 10-year overnight success yes exactly (laughs) every and so many people that it seems like overnight like you came out of nowhere but you all know that you've been working hard behind the scenes for years and years and years and years to get that overnight success um so the government's like that too um but this year yeah i knew when i ran in 2020 i knew it was only two-year term so i knew i'd almost definitely be running again in 2022, as long as I didn't get completely burned out, which I've managed not to. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to stoicism. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's the other thing I wanted to say about stoicism is it has a connotation in modern usage of not caring about something, but that's not really what it means. And it, you know, if you say his, he had a stoic reaction to something, you know, dead face like Spock, you know, mm-hmm. emotionless. But that's not really what stoicism means. So one of the things about it is uh, stoicism in Greek, stoia means like the porch. And so the literal translation of stoicism from Greek is basically porch philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what you're ex- what the outside can see, but has no context for what's inside the house. Well, it was or? called it was called porch philosophy because they uh-huh. used to sit on a particular porch and talk about it. <laughs> oh, I, I dug way too so, far into that. Yeah, <laughs> talking about there we go. Vice Mayor Stephanie's uh, uh, porch talks, yeah, right? She's yeah. the stoic of Red Bay. Yeah, so I like I like to call it porch philosophy because uh-huh. it 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 definitely sheds that negative emotionless connotation that um you get from the word in in modern use sometimes please remind me of your question (laughs) yeah (laughs) i got uh, totally off track remind myself Um, (laughs) yeah just um what your plan was basically yes yes yes, running again in this year (laughs) my apologies so in 2022 uh my i already picked up my papers and got my signatures. And 67. That's right. So <laughs> you only have to have 25 signatures to qualify. You want to always do extra because they can get thrown out for any number of reasons from if the person is not registered to vote, if the person's voter registration is not up to date. And by the way, everyone, make sure that you are registered to vote by July 5th because early voting starts July 15th for the county race. I won't be on the ballot until the fall in November. Um, but if they're not registered to vote, if they simply their signature or their printed name or address is illegible, it'll get thrown out. So last year I did about 40 signatures cause I was on a timeline just to be safe. And obviously I qualified just fine. Um, but this year when I went to pick up my papers on the first day, they came available. Uh, they gave me two sheets of paper front and back 
it had 67 signatures. So I decided to make a game out of filling up both sheets of paper all the way. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) And I turned them in on Friday. So I'm pretty sure uh, by the time this podcast come out, you can go on the Hamilton County Election Commission website and see um, I'll be qualified for the ballot. But this will be a very different experience because last time I was a nobody, nobody, except for in my art career, you know, a few people knew who I was as an artist, but I didn't have any political background, any political experience. I had only been in Red Bank for about five years, so I didn't know that many people in town. I wasn't that well connected. But the number of amazing new friends that I've made, and so many of them who I met for the first time, knocking on their door in 2020, and now have become close friends of mine, is so incredible. I I told Stephanie, when we were getting to the end of our campaign in 2020, I don't regret running, even if we lose, because the sense of community that we've built is totally worth all the effort that we've put into this and more. And it's going to be, you know, I feel like a part of Red Bank more than I ever did before. I've had other people comment on how Red Bank feels like more close and tight knit And they know more of their neighbors now. Um, And that even started before we started campaigning. Because in 2020, everybody got locked at home. That's when neighbors started getting to know each other better. Out walking in their neighborhoods, you know, waving to each other from their porches. And we kind of got to piggyback onto that momentum. And Red Bank is is a a place that I hope I can call home forever. And uh, I hope I can be mayor a little bit longer. (laughs) But I'm feeling good about this campaign year because now I do have a track record. Now I do have name recognition. Now I do have that network of people and neighbors and friends that I know um, who are going to support me and help me through this process because campaigning is not easy, (laughs) as I'm sure you can all guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm expecting to have a lot more volunteers this time, a lot more supporters, a lot more uh, meet and greets and block parties and uh, in-person events that we weren't able to do last time because of the pandemic. So it's going to be a very, a very different world than last time. That's so exciting. I, I can't wait to be involved. <laughs> I can't wait to see everything that you do. Um, and so where can people like today, as of like this podcast going out, go to learn more about you? Sure. So I am active on social media. So you can look up Mayor Holly Berry and that's H-O-L-L-I-E. B-E-R-R-Y, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and I also have a website. It's votehollyberry.com, and if you want to see my art, it's hollyberryart.com, <laughs> and whichever facet of this podcast <laughs> interests you, that is where you can find more. <laughs> Either way, you should go look at her art. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, and if you are a Red Bank resident and you want to know more about our city government, it's redbanktn.gov. All right. So now, right before we go into Chris's rapid fire round, what's like a final remark that you'd want to leave for the people? Vote. <laughs> Vote in local elections. I totally understand disillusionment with presidential races and national races and feeling like you're powerless and like your vote doesn't count. But you know where your vote does count? at the local level. And you know what affects your life the most? Local politics. How many votes did Pete win by? 21. Yeah. And 21. 
are we had a recently we had a Republican primary where the District Six school board candidate won by was it forty one votes? Was that David Sharp? School board. Oh, wait, Republican. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was Republican Ron, primary Ron, school yeah. board. Um, so we have vote. <laughs> we have local races all over whatever region you're in. If you're in Eastridge, if you're in Chattanooga, College Dale, Red Bank, we have races that are being decided by a handful of people. Like your vote really, really, really matters and really counts. And voter turnout is lowest in local elections where it matters most and where it counts most. So I just want to encourage everyone to keep up with your local elections, make sure you're registered to vote and research your candidates. Just it's the most important thing you can do to really make a difference in your community. Unless you want to run for office, then you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, And then also just thinking about how small a number 20 or 40 is, that's, I mean, everybody knows that many people. Yeah. Probably more than that. But, like, you know, at least 20 or 40 people, you can be like, hey, did you vote? Why not? You're stupid. You should go vote. Yeah. (laughs) And you can, if you find a candidate that you like, you can volunteer for their campaign. You can donate to their campaign. You can put their sign in your yard. You can, even if you, uh, let's say you live in an apartment and you don't have any money to spare or time to spare and you're working two jobs, you can get on their social media account, which hopefully they have one. (laughs) and like and share and comment on their social media posts and that helps boost engagement and see have more people see their uh, material so there's some whatever your situation is there is some way that you can have a positive impact absolutely all right to end this podcast we're going to do what we like to call rapid fire mode (laughs) oh no Um, so i'm going to ask you a bunch of questions you have about 30 to 45 seconds to answer each one if you want to go a little longer you can but we ask that you rein it in number one what's your favorite book both professional and non-professional so i want to interpret that as fiction and non-fiction you may (laughs) and i already said uh, my favorite non-fiction book right now is dare to lead Mm -hmm. by brene brown um I will say if you wanted a second separate selection, do the gifts of imperfection is pretty amazing. And for fiction, my favorite book is probably Name of the Wind by Patrick Yeah, Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah, love that book. So good. I love fiction. I love reading. I grew up reading. uh, I was I was actually homeschooled until I was in eighth grade, Mm. and I grew up in the middle of nowhere in a rural town in in um, Brookshire Texas Mm. and we did have a community library there though and so my mom would take me about once a week and I would check out a stack of books and then I would read them all in one week and we'd go (laughs) back the next week and I'd check them back in and check them back out for a stack of books and by the time I was in maybe junior high we had to go to drive into town for a bigger library because I'd kind of gone through (laughs) (laughs) what what the local neighborhood library had but I I grew up in the library and I I and super, that's one of the things I'm super passionate is making sure everybody has access to the library, yeah. especially now that it's more than just books. Yeah. Because when I was growing up, the library was books and maybe they had some. Maybe movies. Very, yeah, movies. Uh, I was going to say audiobooks, but tapes. Books on uh, tape yeah. is yeah. what they were when I was growing up, of course. Yeah. And maybe a few computers. Yeah. Maybe. But I, <laughs> I actually knew, grew up knowing how to use the card file system. Oh, cool. So that was, you know, early on. But now with our 
like Chattanooga Public Library, what they're doing, for example, with the recording studios, yeah. speaking of what we're doing here and yeah. having a tool library and musical instrument library. Yeah. yeah, that's actually where my husband and I learned to 3D print and where I learned to sew. Nice. Um, so, wow. The, the services that libraries are offering these days are yeah. out of this world. Well, and shout out to shout out to White Oak Bicycle Co-op because they dropped off a bicycle repair kit at the library. You can check <gasps> out as well. How cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah White Oak Bicycle Co-op's doing amazing work in Red yeah. Bank and beyond. They were one of our past podcast people. So. Excellent. I'm glad you they, guys they already know, know about them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Real quick on the library thing. I grew up in the library too. Mine was at my school. Shout out to Miss McDowell. She was one of the most impactful people on my life. She's a school she, librarian. She was my school librarian Aww. and I still love her to this day. So. <laughs> um, all right. Who was your biggest influence growing up and why? Hmm. My biggest influence growing up, uh, Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wow. wanted to be a uh, marine biologist when I was a little kid and I used to watch all of the Jacques Cousteau documentaries on PBS and on VHS. Um, and, you know, I was, I was one of those nerdy kids who watched nature documentaries instead of cartoons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't become a marine biologist. A lot of that is because I didn't want to live on the coast because yeah. I, you could call me and my husband climate refugees, really, because <laughs> we grew up in the Houston area and we were sick to death yeah. of not mm -hmm. just the nonstop hurricanes and floods that get worse and worse every year, but also the increasing heat. I mean, yeah. the, the year that we left Texas, there was, I think, two weeks where the temperature was over 100, 100 degrees mm. every single day for two weeks straight. And I don't know if you've ever lived in a place like that, but if you live in an older house, the differential on an air conditioner is only about 20 to 30 degrees. Yeah. So if it's a heat index of 110 degrees outside, your air conditioner can't make it any cooler than 80 inside. <laughs> So there's no escape. <laughs> not, yeah, I'm, I was in College Station for a while, South Mississippi, oh, yeah. Pensacola, Florida. You know so then. The, Chattanooga's you, great. You get it. <laughs> yeah, I, we came here to have four seasons of equal length. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, things are getting warmer here too, but, yeah. but still, anytime I want to complain about the heat, I look at the forecast in Texas, <laughs> and it's always 10 degrees hotter there. Yes, so go, go Chattanooga. All right, what's your favorite restaurant in Hamilton County? Or if you can't pick one, top three. So my favorite restaurant in Hamilton County right now, if I'm going to uh, cheat on Red Bank, <laughs> is Hello Monty. Oh, okay. So off Main Street. Yeah, I, I haven't been a, there yet, but it looks awesome. Oh, you have to go. Yeah. I am a big fan girl for Chef Rebecca Barron. Okay. She's a James Beard award-winning chef here in town, and she used to be the head chef at St. John's. Okay. And she had a baby and then she was actually at Slick's Burgers for a short time and I followed her there. And then I lost track of her for a while and then I kept on hearing about Hello Monty. And then I found out that she was the head chef at Hello Monty. In fact, I think she kind of had to do with getting that place started yeah. and um, has collected some of the best staff along her journey. So uh, that place is out of this world. <laughs> Shout out to Chef Rebecca Barron. You make the best food I've ever eaten. Awesome. Well, you sold me on it. Now. Uh, what's your go-to coffee drink? Ah, uh, so what, did you say coffee drink? You did say coffee drink. I'll cheat on this one too and say my favorite uh, drink at Be Caffeinated <laughs> is probably the uh, matcha latte, half sweet with lavender. Nice. 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. What are you drinking right now? Right now I have a dirty chai, a dirty iced chai. Everything's got to be iced in the <laughs> This is important. What milk? Whole milk. Whole? Life's really? too short for not whole milk. Come she's on. From, what did I just she's from say? Texas. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Land of cows. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite superhero? And I'm also going to cheat on this one. Can I answer my favorite villain? Yeah. Poison Ivy. Mm, nice. Yeah. What iteration? Like uh, like the cheesy the movies? Harley Quinn TV series oh, the cartoon, animated, animated series yeah. on Netflix. Uh, nice. If anybody hasn't watched it, Poison Ivy, she's she's me. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> now Poison Ivy is a great character. Uh, what's your favorite song? Mm. Let's see. I'm I've really been digging "I'm the Man" by the Killers lately. I just nice. get stuck on a particular song so yeah. that, you know, in like three days could be something different, but right this second. Right. What about band? Oh, I always really liked Mute Math. Mm, yeah. Um, let's see, a few other bands. I like a lot of different styles. So uh, Nickel Creek, Chris, oh, yeah. Chris Thyle. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's another one of my favorites. Totally different style. Um, and let's see, Ingrid Michaelson. Yeah. And she rocks. Yeah. Uh, oh, <coughs> Florence and the Machine. Mm -hmm. She's one of my favorites. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about favorite artists? I'm going to go back and say Beats Antique, also, if you guys haven't heard Beats Antique. <laughs> my favorite artist? I can't, I don't know if I can answer that. Um, let's see. I've got. There's a man. There's an equestrian artist that's at the tip of my tongue, but I don't know if I can remember her name right now. I'll have to look that up. Uh, I have like a, they paint horses. Yes. Ah. Yes. Um, I was like, do they do it on horseback or is it? <laughs> horse that that would be cool, like horseback <laughs> archery, but yeah. horseback painting. Yeah, horseback artistry. <laughs> it's like a polo thing, but it's a paintbrush. Oh, I don't know if you guys have ever watched polo in person, but it is intense. It's actually my one of the only team sports I can get into. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I'm not generally a sports person, but right. but that's definitely exciting. Um, yeah, I have. Well, you know what? I have a favorite artist. Okay. And her name is Mia Bergeron. Okay. And she lives in Red Bank. Nice. <laughs> so Mia is one of, she's a former mentor of mine in oil painting. She is a world-class, world-collected oil painter. She's one of the most prestigious artists in the greater Chattanooga area. Mm -hmm. We're in our southwest, our southeast region, actually. <coughs> she's got galleries across the United States, collected internationally, and the, the irony is almost nobody here in Chattanooga knows who she is, yeah. but she's incredibly talented. Honestly, her stuff is uh, just, you know, Chattanooga is a middle class kind of town. <laughs> <laughs> we have some art galleries, but we don't have like the big ones. Yeah. You know, we're not just a big enough city to support that kind of mm. uh, economic activity like, you know, Atlanta or Nashville or Asheville or Denver or all these other cities. Um so honestly, I think she's she's kind of high rent for our area. <laughs> That's why a lot of people haven't seen her at local shows. Yeah, because uh, she's she's big. That's awesome. She's incredibly uh, talented, and her husband John McLeod 
is also an artist, a sculptor, and he's been getting into painting lately, which is unfair for him to be that good at both things. <laughs> and they both live in Red Bank. So, That's awesome. you know, we're pretty cool. Red Bank hidden gems. We have a lot of artists in Red Bank. Yeah. It's disproportionate to the size of our city. I think because Red Bank used to be the affordable place to live close mm-hmm. to town, artists are hip. They want to be close to downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want things to be, you know, walkable, bikeable if, pers- if possible. They like, they appreciate natural beauty, which is why I think Chattanooga area has a higher also proportion of artists than other towns our size, (laughs) the low cost of living and the high natural beauty. Um, But our city, because it used to be affordable, artists could afford a larger place that had another spare bedroom or a garage apartment or something for a studio. And so we we still have quite a few, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. I think Red Bank, I think in the future, its branding is going to be like, the artsy the art hidden gem yes uh if you could meet anyone alive or dead today who would it be uh it'd probably be dr denise herzig okay um she studies wild dolphins wild spotted dolphins in the bahamas and she has been studying them in the wild and documenting them for generations and she's working on a uh dolphin human communication device in conjunction with Google. Cool. <laughs> wow. The guy that invented Google glasses. Um, so hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is kind yeah, of true basically. Full on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been dying actually to go out there and, um, she has basically like ecotourism trips and you can cool. go s- help her study dolphins and yeah. document and stuff. And that would be my jam. And it sounds like she really knows what her porpoise is. Oh, <laughs> you don't have a sound effect for that. <laughs> I don't know where it's <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing to make? Oh, I love, of course, I'm making artwork of all kinds, but I also love cooking, mm. especially baking. So uh, brownies, cookies, cakes, pies, anything like that. Um, creme brulee. <laughs> Is one of my specialties. And very significant with your past. Yes, yes. Uh, I might be a little bit pyro. It might cross over into a few different <laughs> aspects of my life. But um, yeah, art is the obvious answer. My torch paintings, of course, I have great fun making those, um, but also cooking. Yeah. Uh, Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings? Can I answer D, all of the above? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> A couple of past people were sure. like, uh, do you, none of the above? Oh, like, no. What are like, you well, doing I on this podcast? One one time, you know. <laughs> How do we even know you? <laughs> well, each their own. <laughs> yeah, I love Harry Potter. Uh, I'm a Ravenclaw. Nice. Um, Star Wars. Uh, my I know way, 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 way too much about Star Wars <laughs> because my husband is obsessed. Nice. Uh, also, I'm a little offended that Star Trek isn't on this list. Ah. Wow. How dare you? Rule of threes. Oh, fine. Um, <laughs> these are yeah. all more like operatic, like kind of stories. Uh, Star Trek yeah. moves in a different direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, we'll it's just go with, it is worthy though. It's uh, pretty great. I was limiting it to John Williams composed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you almost had like a literary theme going. But Star Wars isn't books. The other. Well, they are books. They're just written after. <laughs> that does not count. <laughs> That's fanfic. That does not count. Uh, Lord of the Rings. I like the books. Um, yeah, but I know too, way too much about Star Wars. My husband listens to a podcast that uh, breaks down Clone Wars 
in like philosophical and economic terms. It's cool. called a more civilized age. And ah, so awesome. he spends a lot of time. You like that. Yeah, you write that down. <laughs> that's right on me, Sally. He spends a lot of time talking to me about uh, Star Wars and, and all of the kind of modern day implications yeah. and uh, I, uh, subterfuge. I got really sick a couple weeks ago and I was on the couch for like 10 days in a row basically. And I started watching the Clone Wars cartoon TV show uh-huh. and it is way darker than I anticipated. Right. Yeah. And it was super good and totally understand how someone could do an entire podcast on the economic implications yeah. just based on the series because like half of the episodes are just political subterfuge things with the Senate and all this uh-huh. other stuff. So yeah, and it's, it's like, fascinating. are the Jedi just being used yeah. by this political group to carry out their will, like yeah. a militarized force and yeah. It's like the crusades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little, um, a little too much. If you could have your art hanging anywhere, where would it be? Hmm. That's a good question. Thank you. I came up with it myself. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have my art hanging anywhere, um, it would be on an exterior wall in Red Bank. Mm. <laughs> I want to see some murals in our town. I don't have to be the one that makes them. Yeah. Um, but I do want to see some color and creativity uh, brought into the public realm. Yeah. That's actually why I really got into public art in the first place is, you know, the democratization of art. You know, I mean, I mentioned before rich people hanging stuff on their walls. <laughs> the The counter to that is creating artwork out in the world for people to encounter on accident, yep. right? Or that anybody can <coughs> see regardless of socioeconomic status. So definitely having art out in public, that would be my answer. Well, that's funny. My last question is, what is your favorite mural in town? Oh, my favorite mural in town. There's, uh, thankfully, so many, Mm -hmm. so many more than when I first came here. There was just a handful when I moved to the area in 2012. Uh, But now there's a proliferation. Um, Ironically, the one that I worked on (laughs) is not my favorite. (laughs) The the big one, I like it, but it's... um, very much a design by committee. Mm. So we had a lot of community input on that one. And there was kind of this drive to kind of try to fit all the things into this design that yeah. weren't necessarily cohesive or congruent with each other. And I really prefer a more simple uh, design. Yeah. Um, I would say I like all the murals equally for different reasons the ones that are completed by the community um the ones that are kind of the individual vision of one artist that's been carried out um i mean there is one on south side that that comes to mind not to say that i uh don't like many many others just Mm -hmm. as much or more um but it sticks with me and it's it's probably by seven if i had to guess Mm. and it's a paper crane transforming into a real crane. Mm. Um, I always kind of identified with that particular piece. Yeah. Seven's so talented. Yes. Uh, he did a mural at one of our, I think, clients, uh, Iron HQ in Eastridge, and uh, it's incredible. And I, I started digging into his Instagram. The guy's just He's prolific. Talented. Yeah. So good. <laughs> He's also, I don't know, there's way more murals in town than 
uh, he's done more murals than you see because he's yeah. painted over many of his own. <laughs> well, and he travels too. Like he's, it's not just Chattanooga. Like he's done them in Nashville and Atlanta and all these crazy places. So yeah, it's really cool. But we have a, I've done a few murals that were actually my own design. Um, one is part of the Macaulay murals project that was headed up by muralist Kevin Bate. Um, uh, and that's out near the zoo. So the one that has, um, I call them the, the four horsewomen of the Renaissance. It's like the opposite of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, let's see if I can remember them all. Scheherazade uh, from a thousand, from Arabian nights, mm. uh, Mulan, the one, not the Disney Mulan, but the one from the Chinese folk tale yeah. folk song and uh, Lieutenant Uhura <laughs> from Star Trek. Oh, Okay. Lieutenant Uhura. Yeah, See, this okay. is why he didn't put Star Trek <laughs> on the list. He's clearly not a Trekkie. I'm not, I'm not as into it. And then uh, Ripley from the Aliens series. Uh, oh, nice. Sigourney <laughs> Weaver. Yeah, Sigourney right. Weaver. Nice. And I made her horse look like the power loader. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, that's cool. Now, where is that one? That's on um, Macaulay Avenue. Um, just... Let's see, just past, if you go away, if you're going away from town mm -hmm. on Macaulay and you pass through the Holtzclaw intersection, it's right there on your left. It's on some buildings owned by EPB. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Not to look out for it. And I have another mural way out that probably a lot of people won't have seen in the city of Cleveland. Um, on the side of Museum Center Five Points, I collaborated mm -hmm. with a student group to create an underwater mural that featured all local wildlife, like hellbenders and alligator snapping turtles nice. and salamanders and bluegill, and it's pretty cool. And there's like a educational plaque that on the side that ex that names all of the species with their scientific names, and and that one was a lot of fun to create as well. That's awesome. Man, well, Chattanooga has definitely picked up the mural game yes. uh, in the last few years. And, and Red Bank uh, will, too. And Red Bank will, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Holly, this has been more than a pleasure. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we've learned a lot about your art history and your political aspirations and origins. And we can't wait to see where it leads, where Red Bank is going. And I uh, can't wait to see the next mural you have your hand in. Uh, I'm just going to say uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And... Vote in local elections. <laughs> Vote in local elections, and that's Red Bank, Eastridge, Chattanooga. That's for your school Hamilton board. County. Hamilton County. It's all of them. Be informed. If you don't know anything about it, find someone that does and ask them questions. And You definitely, um, whoever you are, wherever you are, there is somebody in your network who is dying to tell you all about who yes. your options are to vote for. So find that person. Let them do your uh let them be your shortcut. Yeah. And if you disagree with everything they say, just vote opposite. Yeah, of there you go. <laughs> uh, man. Well, thanks again, Holly. Uh, again, this is Chris Wood. I'm Nate Tucker. Michael Lardizabal. And Holly Berry. And we're signing off on Startup Heroes. This podcast brought to you by Hive Think Media. If you like this podcast and you want to stay in the know of what's going on with us, follow us at Hive Think Media on Instagram or check us out at hivethinkmedia.com. Thank you for listening.